Lord's help. We're going to try and get through Leviticus chapter 2. Uh, Leviticus 2, uh, you'll find, isn't quite as, if you're anything like me, I should say, isn't quite as exhilarating as, as Leviticus 1 is. It has to do with the meat offering, or uh, some refer to it as the grain offering. Uh, however, uh, all the offerings that are brought up in Leviticus are types of Christ, the types of our uh, of Christ and our relationship to God. And when we read uh, through the offerings, including last week when we went through Leviticus chapter one, uh, we have to take it in the context and read it and understand it in the context of relationship and with uh, and of reconciliation with God. And that greatly helps our understanding of it if we take it all in that context. Uh, the burnt offering uh, uh, was given first in the book of Leviticus. And uh, I, I talked last week how this wasn't the first mention of the burnt offering. It was mentioned from back in Genesis. Uh, uh, so this definitely wasn't the first, first burnt offering that was uh, ever mentioned, ever commanded or anything else by God, or first given to God. Uh, but uh, all these offerings point toward Christ, and they're in a certain order. Uh, and, uh, and the burnt offering was given as what we talked about last week. It was shown that the Israelites, the Hebrews, the Jews, God's covenant people, uh, were indeed reconciled to God. They were reconciled to him. They were sanctified by God to his service and for his glory. And uh, that was the, the purpose of the burnt offering. The purpose of the meat offering is a little bit different. So then the peace offering in the next chapter, uh, in chapter 3, it, it was a, a bit different and so on uh, throughout the first few chapters of Leviticus. Tonight, I'm going to try and get through all 16 verses of Leviticus chapter 2. Uh, so Leviticus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, and, and when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense thereon. And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take thereout his handful of the, the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. And we'll stop there and back up. Uh, this, this section, this chapter begins uh, with a word of encouragement. Uh, it says, if, uh, And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord. Meaning anyone could do this. Anyone could bring a meat offering uh, to the Lord. Says, His offering shall be a fine flower, and he shall pour oil upon it, and put frankincense upon it. And we read that here in 2023, and it don't make a whole lot of good sense to us. Why would they bring grain? Why would they bring meat? Why would they bring something that would sustain them while they were out there in the wilderness, remember, folks, listen, they hadn't got to the promised land yet. They hadn't gotten to the land full of milk and honey. Uh, they, they hadn't made it that far yet. This is not long after they had uh, left Sinai. This was not long after the law had been given from, from Mount Sinai. And we've got to keep that in mind as we read this. So here's God telling Moses to tell the people that if any man brings a meat offering, unto him that, uh, that it has to be done these ways and it has to be fine flour. It can't just be this coarse stuff. Uh, it can't just be anything that they want to bring. God puts down stipulations as far as what kind of meat offering to bring him, folks, and it's, it's no different in the New Testament. Uh, this meat offering, this grain offering that we're reading about here 
uh, tonight, once again, taken in the context of being reconciled unto God. That's why this follows the burnt offering. The burnt offering uh, was, was the, the purging. It was the, the taking away of the sins. It was getting someone in shape good enough to, to be presented to God, that they could have relationship to God. This grain offering had nothing to do with getting into relationship with God. It was something that was given unto God to show that we trust God, or show that they trusted God, and to show that they, uh, they were depending on Him to get them through uh, through this wilderness and through the promised land and uh, as far as the New Testament application of this goes folks, God won't take just anything if it's not a heartfelt confession God won't accept Amen. it if it's not a heartfelt offering unto God if it's not heartfelt worship God will not accept it there's a lot of worship that goes on in churches nowadays that is false worship and God does not recognize it as worship at all. It's people that, uh, a lot of the people that are quote unquote worshiping God are, are unregenerate sinners or people that don't even know who God is, but they think that they're worshiping God and they think that they're appeasing God and pleasing God in doing so. Folks, the only thing that will please Almighty God is Jesus Christ. And if we don't have Jesus Christ, God will not be pleased with us. It's plain and simple. If these people did not bring the, the meat offering that God told them to bring, if it wasn't a fine flour, if it didn't have the oil, if it didn't have the frankincense, if it wasn't the way that God prescribed it to be, it would be rejected by God. And our worship is no different. If it's not done in a way that is prescribed by God, Amen. if it's not, if we don't worship Him in spirit and in truth, God will reject that worship. And we're doing nothing but wasting our time, our time trying to worship Him in such a manner. That's these, right. these people here, he said, it must be fine flour. Like I said, this wasn't the run-of-the-mill stuff. Fine flour in these times, uh, it was a delicacy uh, to come by. Once again, you remember, these folks weren't farmers out there in the desert. They, they didn't have land that they were cultivating and that they were growing this stuff on. This is something that would have been hard to come by. And here's God telling them to give it up. Give up your fine flour. My question to myself and everybody in here is when was the last time we depleted our own resources to the point where we were depending completely and totally on God to replenish those in his time and his manner. I'm not saying go out and sell all of your goods. I'm not saying go out and sell your home uh, and your vehicles and your clothing and everything else about you and just depend on God to supply you those things. My, my Bible teaches that God will sustain us, and I do believe that, that God expects us to use some sense in it too. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying go sell everything that you got and give all the money to charity and say, okay, God, here I am. You do what you promised to do. But when was the last time that we truly gave? I'm not preaching on tithing or teaching on tithing for that matter. I'm not uh, teaching on what we put in the plate every Sunday or every Wednesday or wherever the case is. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying sometimes we hold things back from God. Sometimes he told these folks it must be fine flour. He said, if any, if any will bring, will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. Folks, that's that's heavy-duty stuff that God has told these people. Not only must it be fine flour, but they must pour oil on it. Again, they're out here in the wilderness. They, the oil is not there at their, or the olive oil is not there at their disposal. At just any whim that they want, and nor was the frankincense. Frankincense was something that was pretty expensive back in this day. So, but God is saying, if you bring a meat offering unto me, if you bring this grain. To me, it must have oil and it must have frankincense. You think about Jacob over in the book of Genesis. When Jacob, we all know the we all know the account of Jacob's ladder, that's popularly known. Just before that account, just before Jacob had that dream, what happened? Esau got mad at him. 
And Esau got so mad, he was ready to kill him, was he not? And Rebekah called for, called for Jacob and said, your brother has got it on his heart and got it in his mind to kill you. You need to get out of here. You go to Laban. You spend a few days with him, is what the scripture says. So Jacob took off. Well, Jacob laid his head on that rock that night. And when he woke up the next morning, what did he do? He poured oil on that rock. He poured oil on it after he had his dream. After God had shown him what he had, he poured oil on there. Remember, Jacob left in a hurry. That was probably the only oil that Jacob had on him, but he gave it to God. Amen. He gave it to God. And that's what we need to do. Once again, I ain't saying sell all your stuff and give the money to the church, but just, uh, folks, God owns it anyway. Just go ahead and give it to them. Quit hanging on to it. I ain't talking about your cash. I ain't talking about your wallet or your checking account. I'm talking about God owns it all. And if you're here and you're saved and you're born again, you should know good and well that Paul taught us in the New Testament. He said that you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Amen. We belong to God if we've been born again. And if we belong to God, it is not just our bodies. And it is not just our souls. It is our families. It is our homes. Amen. It is our vehicles. It's our jobs. It's our abilities. That's it right. is everything about <coughs> Us belongs to God. Amen. Whether we want him, want him to have it or not, but we hang on to those things. And a lot of times that gets us in trouble with our families. I'm talking on a spiritual plane. We'll say, God, I'm just giving it over to you. But I still think I can do something. Folks, we can't do nothing for them. Yes, we can witness. Yes, we can tell them the gospel. We can tell them about Jesus. We can, we can tell them about the Bible. We can tell them about Scripture. We can tell them the truth of the Word of God. But ultimately, it will take God to get a hold of those people. And that's when we need to give it over to God. When we come to that realization, we can't save them. We can't save them. And we give them to God. That's when God can do a true work. Don't get me wrong. God can do a true work whenever he wants to, but we can get in the way of God's work. We can hinder the work of God in someone's life by getting, by getting, by getting in the way. And God can, remove, God can remove things out the way. God has a way of doing that. I tell, I've told people uh, for years now, for basically all the years that I've been saved, I've told people, you be careful what you put in front of, in front of God, what you put between you and God. You be careful what you put between you Amen. and church time and you and Bible reading time and you and prayer time because God can take that hindrance out of your life, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether, no matter what it is, God can remove that and look down and say, now you have no reason to not pray. Now you have no reason to not read your Bible. Now you have no reason to not worship me. God can do that. But he tells these people, if any, if any brings a meat off, it must be a fine flower. It must be of the best, in other words. God don't want second-rate stuff. When he, back in the burnt offering we read last week, the burnt offering had to be a male, had to, had to be without spot. You read over in, with the, uh, the, the Passover lamb, over in the book of Exodus, it had to be without spot. Didn't have any, uh, any, any problems with that lamb uh, before they slaughtered it. And they struck the doorpost and the side post with the blood of that lamb. Otherwise, uh, when the when the plague of the firstborn came through, those people would be just as susceptible to it as as the Egyptians were. Folks, when God says something, He means it. He means it when He told these people it must be a fine flower and it must have oil and it must have frankincense. He means it. We'll get into a little bit more of that towards the end of the chapter here. Uh, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take thereof his handful of the flour thereof, and of the oil thereof, and with all the frankincense thereof. And the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now notice, and we, we pointed this out in the burnt offering last week too. Who was doing what? It says, verse 1 begins... Uh, and when any will offer a meat offering. This is how it begins. Then verse 2, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take thereof a handful of flour thereof. He shall do it. Who? The one that brought the offering is the one that takes out the handful. 
of flour and of the oil thereof. Now it says that he takes out a handful of the flour thereof and of the oil thereof. In other words, he's not taking all of the flour and he's not taking all of the oil that God specifies here. He specifies with and with all of the frankincense thereof. None of the frankincense is to remain with the, the offer. None of it's to remain. Why was that? Well, for one, the rest of this was to go to the priest. It was to go to Aaron's sons, those that were in service to God. And they would have no use, really, for that frankincense. So God says, burn it. Burn it. Something that is expensive, something that is rare, something uh, something that meant something to these people. Think about where they would have gotten this from. Folks, God had just delivered them out of Egypt. Not long before this, God had parted the Red Sea, and they crossed through the Red Sea with the wall uh, with walls of water on either side of them and on dry ground, and got to the other side. When would they have had time to stop in the local Seven Eleven and buy frankincense? They brought it from Egypt. That's the only place they could have gotten it from. It was something that they brought from where they were departing from. Now, they could have had good intentions in doing that. It could have been a bartering tool. It could have been any number of things. They could have had very good intentions. But again, not just the frankincense. What about the fine flour? Where would they have gotten that from? They would have had to have brought that with them out of Egypt as well. God's saying, leave everything behind. You're going to give this stuff up because I am going to take care of you. I am Lord God, and beside me there is no other. I will sustain you. I'll get you through this wilderness. You can give all of this back to me because it's mine anyway. But he tells them that he, the offer, should take his part and all of the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar to be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So the offerer takes his part and all the frankincense and does what? He gives it. And the priest burns the memorial thereof. He burns the remainder thereof. He, bring, he, he burns what's there. Listen, but the priest does this. The offerer doesn't go to the altar. The one who brought the flour, the one who brought the oil, the one who brought the frankincense, he doesn't have this part, the priest has this part. But it's all separate parts that make up one part. What is the one part? The one part, the, the, the meat offering, the frankincense, and the oil all make up one offering unto God. Once again, everything about you needs to be offered unto God. When Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren, of the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He, says, he doesn't say, but you can leave this part out. He says, present yourselves a living sacrifice. And once again, that is everything about you. Everything about you. How often do we thank God for everything that we've got? Every one of us in here probably do that every day. We might go through a short list of things. We might go through a medium-sized list or a long list of things that we have and say, God, I thank you for it all. And we thank God for, for our home. We thank God for our, for our vehicles. We thank God for a way to make money for our jobs. But do we ever really break it down and say, God, I thank you for the ability to do my job. I thank you for the talent that you give me. I thank you for, uh, for, uh, for this or for that. Do we break those things down or do we keep them general? Here, it's three or three parts of an offering. It's three parts of one single offering that's being given unto God. It says that the priest will burn this offering upon the altar. And just like the burnt sacrifice that we read about last week, it's a sweet savor, it's a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. Do you remember? you remember the, the burnt offering? about last week. Burning flesh does not have a good smell. Burning hair does not have a good smell. Burning grain doesn't have a good smell. We, uh, or the meat offering as we're reading about here. Burning oil does not have a good smell. 
People will say, well, that frankincense gave it a good smell. Folks, that's not what this is talking about. He's talking about the heart that we give these things to, that these Israelites would have given these things to God with. And it's the same way with us. It's our attitude. And it's our heart. And it's where that worship is directed. And if it is true worship to God, then it will be a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of an almighty God. But it's only then that it will be so. We can, we can bring all these things unto God. We can bring a tenth of the world's fine flour unto God. Ten percent of all the fine flour in the world and ten percent of, of all the oil in the world and a huge bunch of frankincense and we can offer it to God without our hearts being in the right place and it wouldn't matter a hill of beans as far as our worship toward God goes. But if we just bring a portion we have. We bring it, like God says, fine flour with oil and with frankincense. And it's truly the best that we have, the best that we have uh, about us, and we offer that to God. Then it's a sweet smell and savor under God. And if thou bring an oblation, don't be afraid of that word oblation, it's just a fancier word for offering. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, bacon in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. This is important. This is just like the burnt offering that we read about last week. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also some differences in the, uh, between the burnt offering and the meat offering. And we've talked about a couple of the similarities thus far. We're going to talk about some more. Here in verse 4, he says, If thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, Bacon in the oven, it shall be unleavened of unleavened, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. This is important. Because just like the burnt offering, we began with the ox. We began with the bigger and the stronger animals, the ones that the people with the money would have had. And then we went to the lambs and the rams after that, the ones of the flock. We started with the ones of the herd, went to the ones of the flock, and then it got down to something as simple as a pigeon or, or a turtle dove. That was for the ones that couldn't afford those things, those that, that were poor. And this is the same manner that we're talking about here. It's the, the exact same thing. Anyone could bring a meat offering unto God and say, God, this is what I've got. It's the absolute best that I have. Whether it was something like a trisket or whether it was a huge mound of fine flour, anybody could bring it to God and offer it the way that God says to, and God would accept that offering. Why would God want them to get rid of their food, though? Especially the poor. Why would they want to do that? Or why would God want them to do that? Folks, it was worship of God. And it was them saying, God, I trust you. I mean, my goodness, these folks, as I've already said, they've done been through the Red Sea. I would have been scared out of my wits, and you would have too, to be walking through a body of water, and there was a wall on one side, and there was a wall on the other, and there I am in the middle of it. And yet some of these people were probably afraid to give away some of their flour. Some of them may not have been afraid, they just didn't want to. But God says, this is how I'm saying to do it. This is an offering made unto me. And if you offer it correctly, I will accept it. Uh, if it's a, an oblation of meat offering, bacon in the oven, it shall be of unleavened cakes of fine, fl fine flour mingled with all, meaning this will be unleavened cakes that have the oil mixed in with the flour. Now, we get to the next part. Or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. We all know what it is to be anointed. We all know you take a little bit of oil, you put it on a person's head or shoulder, however we, we do it. But we don't soak the person in oil, do we? We don't force them to drink the oil, to mingle it throughout their entire body. This is what this is talking about when it talks about wafers, anointed with oil. This was for the poor. God's making provision for them. I still want you to worship me. I've done made a way that you can be purged of your sin through the burnt offering that you can bring me in the form of a pigeon or a turtle dove. And this is how you're going to worship me. You just bring me a little cracker with some oil dabbed on it. That's basically what God's saying. In layman's terms, that's what he's saying. He's saying, just bring, bring me what you got. Bring me your best. And even if your best is just a speck, 
it's still your best and you're still offering it to me and because you're showing that trust in me and because you're showing that dependence on me I'm going to see you through this thing and folks we need to trust God in the exact same manner in the exact same manner as he was expecting these people to trust in him says <clears throat> now the first part of that back to that uh, if your meat offering bacon in an oven it shall be of unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil this was more or less for the middle class kind of like the rams and the sheep uh, uh, were for the burnt offering it was for those that were uh, kind of sort of well to do but not as, not as well to do as those that may have the oxen and the, those are the, the animals of the herd. But then he, he gets to uh, the ones with the wafers anointed with oil there at the end. So God is making a way for everyone to worship him. God has made a way for everyone to worship. Even here in this building. We may not have a fancy building. We may not have stained glass windows. We may not have a uh, uh, hundred people in our choir. We may not have uh, the choir robes or all that, but folks, if we offer God our best Amen. and we worship God with our best, that's all God wants of us. That's all He wants. We don't have to be fancy, and we we don't uh, you know, we don't have to be like the church down the street. We don't have to be like the congregation across town. Amen. As long as we're giving God our best, as long as we give Him our best, that's all He wants. That's all He requires of us. Verse 5, and if thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mingled uh, with, with oil. Thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering. We got here basically, kind of reiterating what he just said, but he says, if thy oblation be a meat offering, bacon in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mingled with oil. And this unleavened is a pretty significant. We're going to get into that towards the end of the chapter as well. Thou shalt part it in pieces and pour oil thereon. It is a meat offering. Thou shalt part it in pieces. You, you just spent time to, to, to bake it in a pan. And then God wanting, uh, wanting the people to part it into pieces. But just as, just as the fine flour and the oil and the frankincense was in verse 1, this is parted in pieces. And it's parts of one offering that's given unto God. Why did God want it parted in pieces? Only God knows that, really. I'm not real positive. I've read, I've read all kinds of different people's theories as far as that goes. But folks, it boils down to the simple fact that this is how God said to do it. And this is how he expected these people uh, uh, to do it. Verse 7, if thy oblation be a meat offering bacon in the frying pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil, and thou shalt bring the meat offering that is made of these things unto the Lord, and when it is presented unto the priest, he shall bring it unto the altar. So we've gone from baking it in a pan, which is another sign of middle class, to baking it in a frying pan. And that's something a lot of people don't expect to find in Scripture, something about a frying pan. But this was a sign that you were for. In these times, and it wasn't just just for the Hebrews. This was in Near Eastern culture. Period. If all you had was a frying pan to cook in, that was a sign that you were poor. And and that's what God is getting at here. Once again, with not just with the offerings, but how the offerings are made, how they how they are concocted, and how they are present, but how they are presented to God is the same way. You bring it to the priest, and the priest does what he needs to do. Folks, when we worship God directly, uh, when we offer our worship directly at God, I should say, does God recognize that? No. But if we offer worship directly to God through Jesus Christ, our high priest, God will recognize that. God will recognize that as, as worship. If it's directly directed at God the Father, we can forget it. Folks, if we try to approach God the Father outside of Jesus Christ, we can forget it. Amen. And if we can't approach him for forgiveness outside of Jesus Christ, what makes us think we can worship him outside of Jesus Christ? 
we can't. So these people all had different utensils, different ways and means of preparing their offering. Whatever it was, whether it was wafers, whether it was cakes, whether it was mingled with oil, had oil dabbed on it, or whether the oil just brought dumped on top of it. Regardless of what it was, it was all offered up by a priest. This was uh, to typify Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our high priest, and he is the only one that can reconcile us to God. And if we've been reconciled to God, he is the only one we can worship God through. He's the only one we can get to God through. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That word cometh. I mean, that's everything. Anything we want of God the Father has to be gotten through God the Son. It has to be asked through God the Son. Has to be. Or the priest, the priest shall take from the meat offering. Verse nine. The priest shall take from the meat offering a memorial thereof, and shall burn it upon the altar. It is an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Folks, this would have encouraged the poor greatly. He said, the priest is going to take this, and the priest is going to burn it on the altar, and it is an offering. So regardless of what the bigger churches might think of little churches like us, regardless of what people that might be in a 500-person congregation might think about a church that only has a 10 or 12-person congregation, regardless of any of that, God accepts our worship if it is true and it's done the way that he says to do it. This, is this was encouraging to the poor that felt like they had nothing to offer God. And God says, you've got something to offer me. Worship me. Amen. Worship me the way that I have told you to, folks. And us in the New Testament, we can worship God regardless of how rich we are, regardless of how poor we Amen. are, regardless of our, our stance or our clout in society or in our jobs or in our family, regardless of any of that, we can all worship God through Jesus Christ. And that's all God wants is our worship. He wants our worship. And he deserves our worship. Our worship is due unto God. My goodness, he saved our souls. Yes, he deserves our worship. Amen. Ms. Fletcher, I don't really cut a shine in service. Ain't none of y'all seen me cut a shine either. But I still worship God. Amen. I ain't going to say I've never thrown a holy fit, but none of y'all seen it. But that's not, that, that's not necessarily what worship is. Yes, some people some people worship more excitedly than others and more frequently uh, in that manner. But sometimes people just sit on their pew and cry, and that's worshiping God. Why? Let's keep reading. We'll get to that. And that which is left of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the, of the, of the Lord made by fire. So, God here is not only making a way for the people of Israel, for the Hebrews, to worship him, but he's also making a way that the priests can be sustained in their service to God. Remember, the priests, the tribe of Levi, they, were guaranteed, they, they weren't going to get any inheritance in the promised land when it comes. God says, I'm your inheritance. I'm what you get. And, you, and, and your job is to serve me in the tabernacle. Your job is to offer up the sacrifices and to burn the incense. Your God, or your job is to intercess on behalf of these people by bringing their sacrifices that they bring to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation or bring, uh, bring to you in general and to offer those unto me. Folks, they couldn't go out and get a job at the gas station. They couldn't go to Walmart and get a job. They were constantly working in the temple. They had to be sustained somehow, and this was God's way to do it. But you remember this. It was still the offerers that were bringing an offering to God. And it was still God's offering. But God was saying, part of that's going to my service. Part of that's going to those that are in my service, in my tabernacle, at my altars, at my table, at my table of shoe bread, at my candles. God's saying, part of my offering is going to them. God was making a way that everybody could be taken care of. And the priests doing what they were doing by offering these things, by burning uh, this meat offering on the altar, they were worshiping God in doing so. 
How are they worshiping? They're not the ones that brought the offering. That, the offering was the form of worship, was it not? Yes, it was. But they were worshiping God and doing what God told them to do. Folks, that's a form of worship. God told them. He said, you're to serve me. You're to do these things. They were worshiping God. The people of Israel were able to worship God. Everybody was able to worship God. No one was excluded from this. And no one's excluded from worshiping God now. No one's excluded because we have Jesus Christ. We have that, that common ground that not only that we can meet on, but, but that we can all worship God in our Verse number 11, No meat offering which you shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall, for you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, and any offering of the Lord made by fire. So God says, you're going to bring fire, you're going to bring gold, you're going to bring frankincense. Regardless of whether the flour is baked or whether it's uh, uh, piled high on a, on a charger or whatever the case is, you're going to bring these things to me. But it is not to have leaven in it. Why is that? Folks, what is worship? Why, why do we worship God? If you're here saved and born again, why do you worship God? It's because he gave you life. It's because you were dead in your trespasses and your sin, and he gave you life. This entire chapter here, and the one before it, even though the one before it was the burnt offering, there was death involved, it had to do with a reconciled life unto God. It's all about life. What is leaven? Leaven is really nothing more than what we call nowadays yeast. It was put into bread to cause it to rise. But what process takes place there? It's corruption. There's a corrupt process that takes place when you put yeast into, into flour to cause it to rise. There's corruption that takes place. And corruption signifies death. God wanted nothing to do with death in his worship. Why should we concentrate on death or even have it on our mind? Even a tinge of it on our mind when we are celebrating, we are worshiping God for the life that he has given us. These people, God was telling them, you worship me. You worship me in this manner, with this meat offering. And they were out in the wilderness. They didn't have houses. They were in the wilderness. They didn't have a place to go every night. They, they, they didn't you know, have nice comfy beds. They didn't have a dining room table to sit down to. And yet God was saying, you worship me because I've given you life. I've reconciled myself to you, and in doing so, you are reconciled to me. And that's why they were to worship God. That's why we are to worship God, because we have been reconciled. He says, no leaven, no leaven in the meat offering. He says, it's not to be burned, it's not to be mixed in. I don't want anything to do with it. You remember in the Passover, in the book of Exodus, God told the Israelites then, he said, no leaven is to be found in your house during this time. They had to rid, rid their house of all the leaven. And to this day, uh, a lot of the Jews, when the Passover comes, they still practice that very thing. But, well, we're not going to get into that but, because that'll take me off course. But uh, here, God says, no leaven is to be offered. No meat offering which you shall bring, the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey. And you might say, well, what's wrong with honey? Folks, this Hebrew word for honey here isn't just honey. This is anything sweet. Honey, berries, anything along those lines. So you're not to give that to me. Now, all that being said, when you consider that, and you consider the leather, God says, I don't want anything sweet. I don't want anything with leaven uh, brought to me as an offering. We've got corruption in the leaven. We've got uh, the fruit that's able to rot. Grain wasn't that susceptible to such things. Grain, and y'all know as well as I do, if you've ever stored flour, my goodness, you can put a bag of flour in the fridge and it'll keep for years. As long as it don't get moist. Keep for years. You put it in the freezer, it'll keep longer. Now, granted, they didn't have refrigerators, and they didn't have freezers in this time. But you could carry flour around for a long time, 
And as long as it didn't get wet, it was fine. And God says, this is what you were to bring to me. And it's to be in the fine tower. But I don't know what And I, I don't want anything to do with corruption. And I don't want anything to do with rot. I don't want anything sweet. I don't want anything, anything along these lines. You remember when Paul was talking to the Corinthian church in the New Testament. And he was warning them about certain sins, certain solicitous sins really in the, uh, in the church that was there at Corinth and telling them you need to purge the leaven out of your church, purge it out of yourself, said a little leaven leaven is the whole lump just a little pinch of it will affect the entire lump of dough or the entire amount of flour Folks, a little leaven in a church will do the exact same thing it will affect the whole congregation and don't think that this church is not susceptible to that or any other church that's out there. It don't matter if there's 10 people in that church or 500, a little leaven, little leaven is the whole lump. If it was true in Paul's day, I promise you it's true now. If a little bit of corruption gets in. Verse 12. As for the oblation of the first fruits, you shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the altar for a sweet savor. And of every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thy offerings thou shalt offer salt. Back to verse 12. As for the oblation of the first fruits, well, this is the first we've read about the first fruits here. What was so significant about the first fruits? Well, the first fruits was the guarantee of what was promised to come. The first fruits is what was the, the first thing to sprout up out of the ground, whether it was corn or, or wheat or, or anything. The, the first fruits was what was first to come up. And, the, uh, and God says, if you're going to bring any of these things to me, he says, as for the oblation of the first fruits, you shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burnt on the, uh, on the altar. The first fruits would have been gathered, they would have been brought in, and it would have been... It would have been corn. It would have still been green. Folks, they, they picked it green then. They pick it green now over there. They wouldn't like us and wait until, uh, wait until it's good and golden before they get it off of the stalks. They pick it green. They set it in the coolest place that they can find, and they let it ripen then. And like I said, they did it then, and they do it now. They said, you're going to bring these first fruits here, here to me, but they're not to be burned on the altar for a, a sweet savor. But of every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. This is significant. You might say, why is it so significant? Now remember, the meat that we're talking about is grain. It's corn. It's wheat. It's flour. It's not the meat like we would think of meat, like, like a big steak or a pork chop or ham or something along those lines. It was grain that they were offering. But he said, every meat offering shall be offered to me with salt. Every one of them. That excludes no one, whether you were rich, whether you were middle class, whether you were poor. Every meat offering should be offered with salt. These people knew what salt was. Salt was a preservative. A lot of people say that salt, when it's mentioned in the Bible, is talking more about give something spice, give it a kick, give it some flavor, and yet it does have that significance. But more often than not, we're talking about it's a preservative. Remember what we just come out of, what we were just reading a little while ago. No leaven, no corruption, no fruit, no, or no honey, nothing sweet, nothing that can rot. But I want salt in my offering, something that preserves. Folks, when, when Jesus uh, told, uh, told us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he said, uh, now you're the salt of the earth. Now you're the light of the world. But when he called us the salt of the earth, what does that say? And there's so many people, I've heard so many Christians say, well, that means that we're supposed to give the world some flavor. No, it's not. Salt is a preservative. We're here to prevent decay, to prevent further decay. You take a piece of meat that is rotting, and, you, and it's rotted halfway through. If you douse it with salt on that one side, that salt will stop that decay and that corruption from further going into the meat. It can't do anything for what's already rotted, though. But it can save that part of the meat that, that hasn't been corrupted yet, that hasn't rotted yet. God says every one of these offerings, regardless of your social status. Every one of them are to be offered with salt 
And these people would have understood that. That's all being a preservative. But keep in mind, and I've said it a couple of times, I'll say it again. Folks, none of these things would they have had plenty of. They were in the wilderness on their way to a promised land that God had promised their, uh, their father Abraham way over in the book of Genesis. So God was saying, you're to give me flour, you're to give me frankincense, you're to give me oil, you're to give me salt, you're to give me of all these good things. You're to get rid of them. You're to give them to me. They were his anyway. And this would have furthered their dependence upon God. As for the oblation, or I'm sorry, uh, verse uh, 14, I'm sorry. And if thou offer a meat offering for thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of corn dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears. This would have hurt some of these people's feelings, because like I said, when they were getting the first fruits and they were offering this unto God, this would have been, once again, the guarantee of the harvest to come. That's why God wanted it. He said, he's saying, I gave you this to begin with. You're giving it back to me. It was never your possession uh, to begin with. It's always been mine. Give it back to me, and I will continue to sustain you somehow, some way. And folks, like I said in the beginning of this lesson, we're so bad to hold on to some things. We're so bad to think that, that we can do the right thing. And I ain't saying, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's always the case that we should just, you know, I hate to say it like this, but I'm going to, just give it to God and forget about it. That's so hard to do, is it not? I've tried doing it, and I can't. But when we give it to God, regardless of what it is, when we give it to God, it's done as an offering. And God, I've tried. God, I've done everything that I can. And a lot of times that's the problem. We've done everything that we can, and we let, wouldn't let God put his finger in it. Not that God needs our permission to get it in there, but once again, we can, we can hinder the work of God in our lives. But he says that these are to be green ears, dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of the full ears. This is another offering, but it's an offering of first fruits. Now, if you want to get down the spiritual plane of this and, and typify something. You can typify Christ with this. Christ being the first fruits. First Corinthians, Paul, Paul wrote that he was the first fruits of them that sleep. Well, who was that? Them that are dead. He was the first fruits. He's the first one to go to heaven. He is the first one to enter into heaven with an actual body as far as the scripture goes. He was the first fruits. But what was the first fruits again? It was the guarantee of the harvest that is to come. Christ entered into heaven as the first fruits of them that sleep. He entered into heaven as our forerunner to say, hey, I've gone, I've done my job, I've, re I've made a way of redemption for all of mankind, and all of those that will believe in me and repent of their ways will be here one of these days. Christ is the first fruits of them that sleep. But that is the guarantee of what's to come. And what's to come is that innumerable number that John sees in the book of Revelation. The number that's 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, as John says. That's the guarantee. Jesus Christ is the guarantee of that harvest. He was the first fruits. But that means that we're coming behind him. And praise God, that's the case. Because none of us could have made it that way. Uh, but it had, it had to be green ears, drive by fire, drive by fire. Could typify Jesus Christ suffering. Uh, and uh, even corn beaten out of full ears. This could typify the suffering of Christ. And if we look at all this as a type of the Christ and we and we look at it in a way of redemption and a way of reconciliation and a way of relationship with God. These could very well be types of Christ that we're reading about uh, uh, here. Him being dried by the fire, him, him uh, being burned.
burning, burning with pain, if you'd like to uh, phrase it that way, him being beaten. I mean, my goodness, we all know from the scriptural account uh, how badly Christ was beaten and how he was scourged. Uh, so these could be uh, types of Christ. Uh, but verse 15, and thou shalt put oil upon it and lay frankincense thereon. It is a meat offering. This is another, God doesn't make a different way for this particular offering, even though it's called something different. Uh, something different. He calls it the offering of the first fruits. But he says, this is still a meat offering. It's still uh, a grain offering being made unto me. And it's got to be made in the same way. Let, uh, let him put oil upon it and let him lay frankincense. Thereon it is a meat offering, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it, part of the beaten corn thereof, and part of the oil thereof, with all the frankincense thereof. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And all of these are offerings made uh, made by fire unto the Lord. Why by fire? Signify the sweet savor that it would be in the nostrils of God. But not only that. But it was to show, show Israel that God is having them bring their stuff that they had, that they almost had to have brought up out of Egypt. Remember the time we're talking about here. And saying, you give this to me, I'm going to burn it. Therefore, or that way, you can't go back and claim it. You can't go back and get that part that I burned and the rest of it is going to go to Aaron and to his sons for their service to me. So God, in a nutshell, in all of this, I've already said that God has made a way for everyone to worship him through this meat offering. Uh, no one excluded. Rich, poor, middle class, uh, Levites, the priests, and the lay, lay members, if you like to refer to the rest of Israel as that, everyone has the same opportunity to worship the God that reconciled them back in verse or in uh, chapter number one with the burnt offering. Once again, all these offerings are in that order for a reason. These people are worshiping God because of Leviticus chapter one, because of the burnt offering, because God was saying, "This is what's purging your sins. This is what's bringing you back into right relationship with me." So that wraps up Leviticus.